Not far from the ruins of the ancient Samaritan city of Shechem lie the remains of an ancient well. Now, this well is mentioned by the Gospel of John and is associated with Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, who used the well for his family and livestock. So this well was already very ancient and considered sacred at the time of Jesus. In fact, this well still exists. It's still producing water. So at the time of the Gospels, this area was known as Sychar, and this is the area where the Gospels tell us that Jesus had his encounter with the lone Samaritan woman, where they talked about history, life, and eternity. This is what the Gospel of John says. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Well, welcome back, everybody, to our big series that we started last year in September. Do you remember what it was called? From Head to Leb. Leb being the Hebrew word for the heart. And we're looking at the Gospel of John. The Holy Spirit is our guide. John is his servant. And what we are really trying to understand through our study of the Gospel of John is how to not just know God with our minds, but really know him with our hearts we talked about that picture of John in chapter 13, resting his head in the upper room there on the chest of Jesus. Imagine hearing the heartbeat of God. Have you heard the heartbeat of God lately? I want to help you. I want to help myself by looking at the entire gospel of John and seeing how God brings us into his very heart. So in season one, we talked about who God is, who Jesus is. And then we talked about how he created us. And in season two, we saw how even though we have sinned and walked away from God, he has come looking for us, arms extended open, and he invites us. That was our season, invitation. He invites us into relationship with himself. Well, now we're in season three. And in season three, it's all about satisfaction. For the next three weekends, we're going to talk about how to be satisfied how to be soul satisfied. Let me ask you a question wherever you are, wherever our campus is, or watching us across the country or around the world. Let me ask you right now, are you satisfied? Do you have a deep sense of contentment despite all the stuff that's going around your life, your family, your situation right now? Or do you have a gnawing sense of dissatisfaction? 
talking about satisfaction, you probably know the group, the Rolling Stones. They were touring America for the fourth time around 1965 or so. And one night, Keith Richards, the guitarist, woke up in bed and he penned those words, I can't get no satisfaction, which became very famous. In fact, that song is like number one in VH1's 100 Greatest Rock and Roll Songs. So here are these two icons of excess, Jagger and Richards, writing about the excess they saw in America. That's what that song is based on. And despite all that we have, and America has more than any other nation, talk about excess, we are still dissatisfied. Our hunger, our thirst, our desire for more just seems insatiable. We cannot get that satisfaction. Hard as we look for it, as much as we try to to capture it and and find it in our souls. Now, tradition uh, calls her Fotina, Uh, but uh, John describes her in John chapter 4 as uh, the Samaritan woman. And one day, like she did every day, she came out to the well outside of her village called Sychar uh, to get some water, that famous well that Jacob gave to Joseph. And she came around noon, which is kind of unusual because most of the time people went out in the morning when it was nice and cool, especially the women to gather water for their families and their, their animals. But she didn't go out with the women in the morning. That's because uh, Fatina was a naughty girl. <laughs> what I mean by that is she had five different husbands, and the man that she was living with now, if you keep reading John chapter 4, well, he wasn't even her husband. So you can imagine that it just was uncomfortable for her to be around these other women, for those other women to be around her. After all, maybe it was one of their husbands that she had slept with. But boy, was she surprised when she got to the well and found Jesus there. I mean, what's he doing there? Middle of the day when it's so hot. And what is a Jew doing in Samaritan territory? Jews and Samaritans don't get along with each other. They hate each other. And why is he talking to her? That's kind of not cultural. Strange man talking to a strange woman. Jesus asked her for a drink of water. You see, Jesus was on his way from Judea up to the Sea of Galilee and the region around there. And the text tells us he was weary and he was tired and he was thirsty. He had sent his disciples actually into her town to buy some food. And there he was. And there she was. And Jesus says to her that he's going to give her something to drink, something that will satisfy her thirst forever. Now, he's not talking about H2O, liquid water, He's talking about her soul. He's saying to her, I want to give you something that's going to satisfy your soul forever. Now, don't you think that woman was looking for soul satisfaction? Don't you think, given her story, as you read it there in John chapter 4, that here was a woman who was always looking for love and just couldn't ever find it? You know, all of us, 
are looking for a satisfaction to our souls. All of us are searching for something that will, I don't know, make us whole again. We all have wells that we, that we go to. And sometimes the wells that we go to, I imagine that this bucket is your soul, all right? And we, we dip down into that bucket hoping to pull out something that will satisfy our lives. Sometimes it's the well of our careers. We hope and think that maybe our career will satisfy us. Sometimes it's the well of riches and wealth and money, and we hope that material things will satisfy us. And sometimes it's the well of relationships. Maybe if I marry the right person, if I have the right friends, that will satisfy me. Or, or maybe what we're hoping is that somehow this well of fashion, this well of fitness, the, having the right body shape, the right looks, that will bring me satisfaction. Or maybe, just maybe it's, uh, maybe it's sex. Maybe if I just, you know, have sex and, and uh, please my pleasures and my desires, I'll find satisfaction. Or, or maybe it's something different. Maybe I can't find satisfaction, so I want to numb all of that. So it's, it's alcohol or it's pot or it's a narcotic. Just something that will satisfy that emptiness in our longing. Sometimes it's even religion. We dip into religion thinking that somehow, you know, morality and legalism and ritual and tradition will satisfy our lives. But you know what? Our buckets leak. And it never quite, never quite satisfies us. Kind of reminds me of those uh, new soda machines that they came out with a couple of years ago. You know, the ones that have a single dispensary for ice and, and whatever you're going to drink. And... Um, when I have time and I've already got my, my stuff to eat and drink, I like to kind of sit there and watch everybody get in line and, uh, and get, their, get their drink. I, I just find it fascinating study of, of humanity as, as you just watch the, the tension and the frustration and, you know, that person kind of stands there and there's all these little icons and they're trying to figure out how to work it, Right. And once they figure out how to work it, then it's all the choices. Which flavor of soda or pop we say in the Midwest do I want? Do I want it with caffeine, without caffeine, low calorie, no calorie, with fizz, without fizz? And then, you know, the worst thing is when you're standing in line and there's a kid there. And sometimes these kids are 40 years old. And they're like pushing every button because they want to taste everything. My, one of my grandkids loves to do that. He'll take... He'll take a drink from every form of soda. And uh, he thinks that's a lot of fun. And I just think about, I just think about people these days. It's like, I'm going to try everything. I, I, I want to see if something, something that I get a hold of will finally quench that satisfaction in my life. But it never, it never does. It never completes me. It never it never works out for me. And there's a reason for that. You see, look, the problem that we're trying to solve is, is nothing that, that's out there. My problem isn't outside of me and the solution's not outside of me. The problem's actually inside of me. And I have to find the solution inside. So the problem's in me and the solution is also in me. 
I said, wait, what do you mean by that? Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, okay? Um, when I was uh, growing up in a little town called St. Charles, Michigan, there was a, a river that went through town, and it was called the Bad River. Now, there are all kinds of legends as to why it was the Bad River. Uh, but as far as I was concerned, it was a bad river because it was a dirty river. It was a polluted river. In fact, I remember the spring of every year in high school, they'd give us the day off of classes, and they'd bus us out to the Bad River in the middle of town and spread us all out, and we would clean up trash off the banks and get rid of dead wood and rake leaves out and, and clean it up and try to make it look as, as good as we could on Earth Day, all right? But the problem was the river was filled with silt. So no matter how you tried to make it look pretty, it still looked pretty bad. In fact, I've got a picture of the bad river. And you can see the banks are nice and clean, all right? But look how dirty that river is. You can never get the silt out of it. It's bad and it's brown. It's dirty. All of us have a river coursing through our lives, our soul. If you trace that river to the, to the headwaters, you come to the leb, the heart. And our hearts pollute our soul because our hearts are sinful. Jeremiah said it in chapter 17. He said, our hearts are desperately wicked, so polluted, so filled with sin. We can never clean it up, no matter how religious we try to be. We saw that in our last season when Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, what do, I, you know, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, even though you're the most religious man in Israel, you know the law, you know the Torah, the prophets, you cross the T's, you dot the I's, you need to be born again. The same thing is true for all of us. I cannot clean that up. And so what happens in a lot of our lives is we get really frustrated, right, with our inability to get satisfaction. And Tim Keller, in uh, his comments on this passage, talks about what we do sometimes when we get frustrated, when we're not satisfied. Maybe you've seen this in your life or in the life of somebody else. But the first thing he mentions is this, is that we have a tendency when we're not satisfied and we can't get satisfied to blame things or to blame others. I don't have the right job. I, I don't have the right spouse. I, I live in the wrong city. I don't drive the right car. I don't have the right looks. And on and on it goes, right? The second thing uh, some folks do is if they don't blame others and things, they blame themselves. Kind of what I, you know, remember Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh? You know, he kind of walks around, he's down the mouth, and I'm no good, and I can't do anything, and I'm stupid, and I'm hopeless, and my life will never amount to a hill of beans, and on it goes. Perhaps you have thought that or said that about yourself or heard somebody talk like that. Third option is you can blame the universe. It's just bad karma. It's just, you know, it's, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and I'm getting eaten right now. It's survival of fittest, and I'm not fit enough. And I'm a victim, and I, it's just never going to change for me. This is, you know, this is fate. This is my life. You know, it's just, that's the way it's going to be. But this is a, another thing that you can do, and it's something that we all need to do if we want to find satisfaction. 
See, there is something you can blame for why you're dissatisfied. Here's what it is. Number four, you can blame separation from God. Because ultimately, that's the big issue. Ultimately, I can't find satisfaction because I am separated from God. Because of that sin issue in my life. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity talks about our lives and how dissatisfied we can be. And And he starts this way. He says, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for the desires exists. He says, for instance, a baby is hungry. Well, there's satisfaction for that. It's called food. A duckling wants to swim. There's satisfaction for that, called water. Humans have sexual desires. Well, there's satisfaction for that. There's sex. But then listen to what he says. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. You see, all those things we go to to think that that is going to satisfy my life only magnifies the dissatisfaction in my life. And that's why this world and all that it offers you and me and our kids and our grandkids, it just, it just leaves us, eventually it leaves us empty. And for a lot of us who are followers of Christ, even though we know the truth, right? Honestly, our hearts haven't really been touched by the truth or we don't let our hearts be touched by the truth because on the on the one hand we know it we believe it but we still keep going to the wells in the world thinking that somehow I I also have to have that to have satisfaction and the more I look to the wells that the world provides the more I grapple with this constant battle of why am I not satisfied today You see, Jesus says to us that satisfaction can only be found in eternal life. That's what he says in that story in John 4. You can only find eternal life in and through me. And when Jesus talks about eternal life, he's not talking about simply, you know, years without end. When Jesus talks about eternal life, He is talking about a quality of life. So what he's saying to that woman is, you know, you keep coming to Jacob's well and drawing water out of this and you come back thirsty all the time. And we say to you and me, you know, you keep trying to find satisfaction in your career, in money, in relationships, in sex, in religion, in whatever it is. But listen, you're only going to find satisfaction when you come into relationship with me. I am the well that your soul needs to find satisfaction in. 
So in that sense, then, what is eternal life if it's not just years without end? What makes up this quality of life called eternal life? Well, let's look at that for a minute. First of all, eternal life, all right, is something that will quench your thirst for purpose and significance. This woman was looking for love. She was looking for a sense of significance and purpose, but she was just getting further and further away from a sense of having value and purpose and significance in her life. Everything that the world offers you and me through marketing and and social media and every which way, I mean, it's coming at us 24-7. Everything the world says, this will satisfy you, this will satisfy you only dissatisfies us. Everything the world offers you and me dehumanizes us. It doesn't complete us. It doesn't get us significance. It doesn't give us value. It actually takes all of that away from us. It rapes us of value and of worth. Stephen Meyer, uh, in his book, Dr. Stephen Meyer, in his book, um, Revisiting the God Hypothesis, I've been reading through it. It's not an easy book to read, but he's, he's talking about how, how science and philosophy increasingly is pointing to the existence of God. In that, he, he shares a quote by Richard Dawkins. You've probably heard it before. It's one of Richard Dawkins' most famous quotes, and I, and I just want to read it to you. It goes like this. In his book, The Return of the God Hypothesis, Stephen Meyer says, Dawkins, who wrote, this, the universe, has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, only blind, pitiless indifference. Did you get that? Dawkins says, look at the universe. Ah, there's no evidence of God in this universe. The the universe is as it should be. If we're all an accident, if there is no purpose, and if there is no meaning, and there is no design. Now, if you believe that and follow that, then there's no value to your life. It is survival of the fittest. It's each man, each woman for themselves. It just leads to anarchy and chaos. And, and we see that all the answers that humanity offers us today, outside of God and his scriptures, does not build us up, it tears us down. It promotes all of the stuff we see happening right now that boggles our mind. All the injustice, all the issues, all the evil. It's from a lesser view of what it truly means to be human. All the wells that the world offers you and me are never going to give us significance and satisfaction. Temporary at best, but the bucket leaks. And what the world offers us isn't really a well in the first place. It's more like a cistern. And all a cistern does is collect whatever flows into it. And it sometimes dries up. It gets stagnated. It gets polluted. Only Jesus offers us a well with fresh water, so to speak, with fresh life, with invigorated new life. That's really important that we understand it this weekend because next weekend I want to talk about 
Why is it in the church? Why is it in so many of our lives as Christians, there is no real sense of of an invigorated life. There's no sense of invigorated joy bubbling in there. Why is that? We'll answer that next weekend. But look, number two. Eternal life quenches our thirst for love. Eternal life quenches our thirst for love. Like I said, she was searching for love. And and we are searching for love. And the world is searching for love. We, We desperately want love in our life. I was talking to somebody. They're not affiliated with uh, our church, Wooddale Church. And they're a young adult. And they were kind of having a pity party for themselves. And they were just talking about how unloved they feel. And they were complaining that they've never really felt loved by their parents. They've never really felt loved by their siblings. They've never really felt loved by their friends. They've never felt loved by, you know, their boss or their peers. And as they kept going through this, you know, I haven't been loved by him. I haven't been loved by her. And, you know, sharing with me all the ways they've experienced an unloving life. You know, I, I thought that about that for a while. And I just, I just realized they're true. It's true what, what that person is saying. It's true for all of us. None of us ever gets loved perfectly. I don't care who you're married to. I don't care who your parents are or who your kids are or who your friends are. The people that love us at times let us down. Peter let Jesus down. <laughs> Judas certainly left, led, uh, left, led Jesus, left him down, right? I mean, Judas let Jesus down big time, and yet it says in John 13, he loved all of them to the end. And the people you love most and that you think love you the most, there are going to be times when they disappoint you. Which takes us to this last beautiful point, and that is that God is a perfect father who loves and accepts us perfectly. See that? That's what eternal life is. Eternal life gives me purpose and significance. Because I am perfectly loved and accepted by my Abba, by my Father in heaven. Do you believe that? You see, if if you're struggling with contentment, if you're struggling with being satisfied, I can tell you right now, out of my own personal experience, a lot of that struggle is your struggle to believe that God loves you. And you may be struggling to believe that God loves you because you can't believe he would love somebody like you with what you said or what you've done or what's been said or done to you. But I'm here to say, God loves you. He loves you so much that like he told Nicodemus, like it says there in John 3, that he gave his life for you and for me. And we don't deserve that. That's how how much worth and value you have to him. You're a treasure to him. He would give his life for you. Now, you can reject that, okay? You can say, nope, I don't want what you have to offer me, God. I don't like your, I don't like, you know, 
what's required of me. I don't want to have to surrender myself to you. I don't have to yield to you. I want to live life on my own terms. And God loves you so much, he'll let you do that. He'll let you walk away if that's what you want. But when you walk away from that, you walk toward hell. Because hell is life without God. And that's why the Bible says he's willing that none should perish. But he wants all to come to repentance, to turn around and come to him. Because he loves you so much. It's like this... uh, $20 bill. How many of you, by the way, it's nice and crisp. How many of you would like to have this $20 bill? I know, I know there's inflation and stuff, but this will still buy a happy meal. How many of you like to have that $20 bill? Okay, some of you do, right? Now watch this. Some of you are like wincing. Please don't do that. Jefferson, no, don't do that. All right. If it was a $100 bill, you'd probably pass out. But here we go, Okay. Let me get this poor thing unfolded. All right. How many of you still want the $20 bill? I hope all of you who said you want it in the first place still want it because guess what? Even though it's been crumpled up, it's still worth 20 bucks. Now watch this, okay? Ready? Watch this. I'm going to step on it. All right. Poor guy, he's all bruised up. Let me ask you a question. How many of you still want this $20 bill? I hope you do, because it's still worth $20. Uh-oh, watch this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Ah! Things been kind of torn up here. Who still wants this $20 bill? You know, the government tells me it is still worth 20 bucks. I could burn part of it, and it's still worth $20. See, what are, you, what are you doing by all that? What do you mean by all that, Dale? What I'm trying to simply say to you is this is like our life sometimes, right? I mean, sometimes, man, we get so beat up, don't we? We get stomped on, we get abused, we get hurt. And the world looks at us and we look at ourselves and we just think, man, so worthless. But God looks at you and me. He sees past all that damage, all that hurt. Some of it self-inflicted, some of it inflicted by others. And he says, you are worth so much that I give my life for you. You know what I love about that story in John chapter 20? I'm sorry, in John chapter 20, in John chapter 4, is how it begins. If you go back, you read that story carefully in, in John 4, it begins by saying that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And the reality is, any religiously minded Jew would never go through Samaria because to touch Samaritan soil made you unclean. They would actually take the long way around to avoid it. But Jesus said, I have to go through it. Why? Because he had an appointment at a well with a woman who was searching for significance, who was searching for love, who wanted to know that her life mattered. And Jesus showed her, you matter too. 
and he loves you. Do you believe that? Will you let him satisfy your life? Will you rest your head on the chest of God and hear his heartbeat for you? Father, I pray, help us to learn to live satisfied in your love for us. Lord, there are some who are listening to me right now and it's just so hard for them to believe it because of what's happened in their lives. They've been beat up, stomped on, abused, hurt, forgotten. They've convinced themselves that they may not, they must not be worthy. Others have told them they're not worthy. But God, I thank you that you find us so worthwhile. You gave your life for us. May we just accept that and rest in that. We don't need the wells <laughs> that this world offers. We just need you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next weekend.